You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. Thanks, team, for leading us to worship. If you all want to get up during this time and add your words to the basket, that'd be fine, too. So you can do that during a... The talk I offer you that I hope encourages you. I'm Johnny. I use he, him pronouns. Let's begin by uh, reading from the scripture today. Um, We have two passages from the text today from Corinthians 14. I want a volunteer to read one and then another volunteer to read the other. I'd like a uh, woman or a non-binary person to read the second one. Just letting you know that these passages are doozies, so we're going to get into them a little bit um, today. But as you read it, the Bible is full of interesting things, to say the least. So any volunteers for the first passage, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. You need it in the mic, Joe. She's coming. Sarah's going to help you. I usually don't need microphones. But there's uh, people on Zoom need to hear you. Oh, true, okay. Uh, pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak in other, to other people but to God, for nobody understands them, since they are speaking mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consul- uh, consolation. Those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy prophesy, Mm -hmm. build up the church. Now, I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Yeah, that is a doozy. Here's the, that's the first one we're gonna read. Thank you, Joe. And then we'll do the second one. Again, a woman or a non-binary person for this one specifically. Anyone want to? Thanks, Kristen. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is a God not of disorder but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as the law also says. Is that if there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home. Jesus, sorry. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Anyone who claims to be a prophet or to have spiritual powers must acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. Anyone who does not recognize this is not to be recognized. So, my friends... Be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Thank you, Kristen. Let's pray. Lords, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So we're going through the revised common lectionary, which is like a series of passages that some Christians agreed to do across different traditions. We're doing it because it stretches us and it moves us into places and territories that 
we might not normally go, or at least I might not normally go. Every week there's a psalm, there's a passage from the Gospels, there's a passage from the rest of the New Testament, and then one from the Old Testament. We don't do all the readings, although on some Sundays we get to them. But for some reason, the RCL, the Revised Common Lectionary, leaves out chapter 14 when it's going through 1 Corinthians. Now, it doesn't go to every verse anyway, but 14 is conspicuously absent, you might say. I wonder why that is. I would say because speaking in the angelic language isn't common in the churches that compile these. That's one. And two, there's this weird passage, this weird sexist passage at the end of chapter 14. The Revised Common Lectionary often skip those parts of the Bible. Like sometimes it'll give you a psalm, and before there's a lot of retribution from God on whoever God's enemies are, they'll just skip it over. I think that's okay. I understand why you would do that in a confessional setting, but, you know, we're grown-ups. We can try to do something that's hard. Um, and as we read these passages, especially if you've been following along over the last few weeks, as we did chapter 12 and chapter 13, they bring us a new uh, context that can help us understand what's happening. They illuminate more than what's going on. Um, and anytime you like, you can go to our message podcast. We have the regular podcast, the Resist and Restore podcast. That one's fun. And then Laura also takes the sound from this meeting and makes it into another podcast. So if you're a podcast person, you can listen to the message. And if you want to hear the message again, you can listen to it that way. And if you're a self-deprecating pastor, you can listen to the message too, just in case you need a dose of humility that week. So that's, that's at least my practice. Um, so this, it'll catch you up if you haven't. Anyway, I picked these two parts of chapter 14 to work through. The first part's about speaking in tongues and prophecy. The second one is this sexist passage on forbidding women to speak. Let's start with the first one, okay? Speaking in tongues these days, or glossolalia, as some people say. Is, has anyone ever been to a meeting or a service where this has happened before, or grow up in that kind of tradition where you've heard people speak in the angelic language of God, yes. So that's interesting. Um, it happens a lot in Pentecostal traditions and charismatic traditions, traditions that value the ecstatic gifts. You might be uh, slain in the spirit in those moments. Everyone ever do that where they push you down? Or like uh, there's healings, miraculous healings that happen. Um, my experience, this has happened in the Middle East. It's also happened in Latin America, you know. Probably up the street, there's lots of churches that do that kind of thing, right? So that would be a tradition that's, that, that is common. Um, and in my experience, in very broad strokes, it's, uh, very, it's done in, in uh, churches that are not, um, not necessarily urban or cosmopolitan, not a lot of higher degrees necessarily. It's associated more with uh, ordinary folks or even poor folks, right? And I want to emphasize this because in Corinth, the opposite is true. It's hard to take what speaking in tongues has become today and compare it to what's happening in Corinth. For two reasons. It really has transformed into something of its own. But also, in Corinth, if you spoke in the angelic language, you were of higher status and higher class. You were in the power position. The people that write the Revised Common Lectionary in the church, they're the ones in the power position. So it's a little bit different now. just want to be clear about that. 
So that's just something to bring into this. You might have ideas about what that means because of your upbringing and your experience. In Corinth, something a little bit different is happening, and we're going to get into that. The divisions in Corinth, this 100-year-old Roman colony in Greece that's, that's, that's by two major shipping waterways, the divisions that are happening in the church are like between people who think they're very spiritual, sometimes we call them libertines, opposed to ascetics or legalists, people that um, live very simple lives, people who feel like they have a very temperate lifestyle, or Gnostics, people that feel like they have secret special knowledge given to them by God versus non-Gnostic people, Jewish people opposed to Gentiles, or Jewish people opposed to non-Jewish people, followers of Apollos versus followers of Paul, but most clearly, most striking, the most significant fault in the Corinthian church is higher status Christians on one side and lower status Christians on the other. There is a handful of rich Corinthians that keep the church kind of, that, that make the church work financially and otherwise, and then there's a lot of poor ones. So the weak in Corinth are the poor and the strong are the rich. And there's a significant division there. In Corinth, once again, it was the strong the higher status people that were said to have the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is, is an ecstatic gift. It's not intellectual. It comes from the heart. You're channeling God in the language of heaven. Paul writes, in large part, especially in chapters 12 through 14, to exhort the Corinthians about this arrogant faction. Chapter 12 is talking about how all the gifts together are, you, are, are done for a common cause or a common purpose. Chapter 13, he says the greatest of these is love. And in chapter 14, he's finally telling them how to have orderly worship with tongues and with prophecy, clearly valuing prophecy above speaking in tongues. Paul is encouraging this strong to yield to the weak, the higher status people to yield to those that they deem lower status. And here he's asking the spiritual gifts of tongues to yield to interpretation, to yield to order and worship, to even yield to words of prophecy. The angelic language is between God and the individual. The word of prophecy is between God and all the people. Paul doesn't think that speaking in the angelic language is wrong. He doesn't want to stamp it out of Corinth. He simply wants to right-size it. Here he's saying a prophetic word or a prophecy is more accessible than speaking in tongues. And he elevates that above the gift of tongues. The idea that he would elevate something above the so-called strong in Corinth was a way to make the angelic speakers humble and put them in the right place. Paul is calling on the Corinthian church to be a body that is ordered by God in unity and in self-sacrifice and in humility, not by one who has the gifts that are most cherished or the gifts that we think are the most special. Paul rebukes them for building themselves up instead of the body. And that's the part I want to apply tonight. We don't have, as far as I know, a lot of tongue people that speak in tongues in our community. 
Although some of you may pray in tongues, you may have the gift, and that's a real thing, in my view. But let's pay attention to the same idea, the hubris among us, the arrogance among us. Who are the high-status people among us? The people who feel special. People who feel like the rules don't apply to them. The people who feel like they need to be listened to. Of course, our society informs us about this. And this group in particular, I think, knows that, right? Able-bodied people, white people, male people, straight people. So yeah, those are things we want to interrogate in our church. Because our church mimics the order of the world. I think that's important. But what, about, what, what else in our church? Who are the strong here? We're working out on creating a flat community where everybody is listened to as much as possible when everyone can listen together. We don't want one person's voice to be elevated above another. We don't want one person to be held to different standards than someone else and their voice valued more. We discern the spirit together. We want everyone to be involved in that project. We want you to be a full participant. You know, we're working on making a map together this year. Just started and sells last week into the next week. This map will give us direction for the next year. And we don't want it just to be offered to you and you to say yes to it. We want you to actively participate in it. We don't want people to not know how the game is played, the art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. You know, you, we don't want you to guess how the parties get to yes. We don't just want you to assume that it happens, right? We want you in the room where it happens. That's important, that matters. You matter, your voice matters to what we're doing. You're a participant and we value it. That's the best way that we can flatten out the community. So that's why our mapping process this year specifically has to do with listening to marginalized voices and elevating them. Each of the cell leaders will particularly listen to voices that the world deems as less worthy and elevate them. So our cell leaders are trained in doing that. Last week the people of color met for our first mapping meeting. And then also last week, Danny led a group of people that are disabled to have their mapping meeting. And then tomorrow night, LGBTQIA people are meeting for their meeting. So there's three meetings happening for that in addition to all the cells where their voices will be elevated. Okay? That's one thing we're doing. We were, we're trying to be conscious that we have strong people in our body and we want them to be properly ordered. We want to listen to the voices we haven't the prophets, especially as Paul exhorts, not the special-tongued people. So we're trying to flan it out as much as we can. We want to be interdependent, humble people. No one should think more highly of themselves than they ought. Our society orders us that way, and sometimes our community has orders like that within it. But we should be conscious of the way that the church both mimics that order. 
but also that even if the church resists the order of the world, that there is a likelihood that we will mimic another order. That even in our subversiveness, it is possible to have power among us that is confusing, that is drawn on different lines. You know, not that this is likely to happen, but we don't want our marginalized to become uh, the oppressors in the church, so to speak. We don't want to ha- just have an inverted hierarchy. We're going for a flattened hierarchy, if that makes sense. Now, get to, a, to get to a flattened one, we do have to listen to the marginalized voices and elevate them as much as we can. Jeff James, who wrote Giving Up Whiteness on our podcast last week, said, if you want your church to be anti-racist, don't make your leadership team proportional to the people of color in the group versus the white people. Let's like, say you have 10%. BIPOC, don't make one of your leaders a brown person or a black person and then make the rest white. Flip it. Make nine BIPOC and then one white person. I appreciate that kind of interrogation of how we would do that. So something like that could happen, but we're not just trying to create a new hierarchy. We want to interrogate how we could have a hierarchy despite our best intentions. So even if we succeed in being anti-racist, LGBT inclusive, we still don't want to have the hubris to think that there couldn't be strong people among us that we want to talk about, that we want to help. So all of us, and myself, I will say before all of you, need to be conscious of the power, the voice that we have, and the influence that we have. We need to know that our actions matter, and that when we do the wrong thing, we can turn around and try to do it the right way. That matters. We have to have that humility. Sometimes it's going to happen between you and God. Sometimes that'll happen in a greater context too. But we need your voice. So join a cell this week to join the first step of mapping. We're trying it in a new way too. So we have listening circles where one person gets the mic, they get to share their feelings, their ideas, and there's no talk back, there's no cross talk. And everyone in the room gets a chance to share from their heart. We're trying to get our feelings out, our emotions, our thoughts in a safe way. So we're going to borrow from indigenous wisdom and have listening circles. Our sellers have been trained in that. Some of them did it last week. Some of them will do it this week. We want to get all the emotions and voices out and see the truth that's, being, that's binding them together. So that's our way of making sure that people don't have a special voice a more listened to voice, but that we're all together. We're all doing it together. Does that make sense? Do you have any questions about that? Okay. That makes sense. That was one through five. Let's go to the next one, shall we? We're getting two little talks here. This is a bad one, okay? I'm just going to say, I hate to call the Bible bad, but like, it's kind of rough, right? It's like very sexist. So like, let's talk about sexism in the Bible, right? There's sort of an inherent patriarchy to the text that we can understand culturally, we can understand um, given its time and place. But I would say 34 and 35, verses 34 and 35 are uniquely sexist. In 11, Paul will talk about women having head coverings and the importance of that. And to me, and we can, I'll, I'll give a talk about that one day. That has a more cultural sensibility to it. This just seems egregious. 
to me, like very specifically. And in fact, in chapter 11, when Paul is talking about women having head coverings, he'll, he'll say they preach and they prophesy in church in chapter 11. That's only three chapters earlier. It's the same letter, same audience. So what gives? What happens by the time we get to 14 that you got so weird? It's the same letter. Before you said women could, now you're saying they can't. What's up with that? What's up with that apparent contradiction? Even, even in Paul's writing, even here. Now, within the entire corpus of Paul, there's plenty of contradictions to this. But to have it so specifically connected in the same letter is unusual. Because So these verses don't seem to make sense, right? First, again, because 11 contradicts. Second, some commentators suggest that there's such an abrupt tone shift here between verses 33. See, I don't have the verses up here, okay? So this is the first one, and the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is... So that's verse 32. And then verse 33 is, for God is, is a God not of disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. That's verse 33. And then verses 34, women should be silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as the law also says. If there is Anything that is hard to know, let them ask their husbands, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. That's 34 and 35. And then 36 is, or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only ones it has reached? 34 and 35, some people think, seem unique enough that they were added. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. One of them He's talking to Corinth throughout the text, and then he says, as in all the churches of the saints. So he globalizes it to all the churches. That's a little unusual. And then he also makes an appeal to the law, should be subordinate as the law also says. Unusual for Paul to do that, to have the law be why something occurs. So there's, there's some confusion. And in the NRSV, the, the translation we base ours on, and then, and then I change it if I think... We should. Um, what's that? I, I tell you that. I took out the parentheses here, but in, in the NRSV, this second paragraph here is in parentheses. Um, so some people say they're not original. Okay. But merely added. That's interesting. Perhaps they are added by a tradition that wants to subjugate women to orderly worship or whatever. That's a real possibility. But it is truly a contrast to the radical egalitarian community that we see in chapter 12 and chapter 13 where Paul is really trying to flatten everything, everyone out. Even above, he's saying, your high status people should be lowered. So this is just an unusual insertion or addition. Here's another take. Beth Allison Barr wrote a book called The Making of Biblical Womanhood. She was on our podcast too, actually. Rachel and I interviewed her. So she argues that Paul is borrowing from the Roman code. One of it is written by Cato and then rebuking it. She says Paul would have certainly known the law, so it's not surprising that he would comment on it. And this is a critique of the law. So he repeats the basic framework about women being silent, and then he offers this retort. Or did the word of God originate with you, or are you, or are you the only ones it has reached? This retort is mocking the very law that subjugates women 
and might even inform our understanding of it. So much like he's rebuking the strong, he's rebuking Corinth for following the patterns of this world, which silence women. So I want to give you, I'm going to move to, can we go to the Revised Standard Version, Brian? Next passage here. This is how the RSV does it. And I think it's, what's that? There's not another one? Huh. I wonder why. Hey, can you go to the Google Drive and see if it's uploaded? Because I just changed it and you probably had it up. Can you, yeah, let's do that. Yes, RSV. Now I need two volunteers here to read this. Okay? One volunteer you're going to read until it gets yellow. And then the yellow... Okay, so one person's going to read it. And then when it gets to the yellow, someone else has to read it. And then when you read it, offer, offer the yellow like it's a retort back. Okay? And you have to say it. You, you feel me? Can you do that? So who's going to read the white part? Who's going to offer the retort? All right, you can do it. Okay, right next to each other. That's fine. Yeah, go ahead. It's on. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silence in the churches. They are not permitted to speak, but, it, but should be subordinate, as even the law says. If there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. What? Did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only ones that has reached? You see what I mean? That's how the passage could be read. And they actually, the RSV includes the what. You know, that's really interesting that they're doing that. So you can see a potential retort that he's saying. Like, y'all say this. Is that really true? Is that, did the word of God originate with you? It's a real possibility that that's what's happening here. Paul seems to be rebuking the way that the Roman world is ordered and offering another approach as he has throughout the letter. So he's creating a unified, egalitarian community. So, a couple of reasons when we're thinking about this passage. One, it could have been added to the text. It is unusual in some of its language. Although I have to say that even the earliest manuscripts still have it included. So we don't have a clear distinction there. But there is thought that it is. Two, Paul's letter itself contradicts this part of the passage. Three, his entire corpus does, and if you extend it further to the New Testament, there's even more examples, and to the Old Testament, there's even more. Okay, that's three. And then four, it's conceivable that Paul is mocking or rebuking the way of the world and offering a retort. There's a lot of different ways that we can approach this. All of this to say, if you use this passage so that women might not speak in churches, you're bringing something else, you're applying something else from within you to the Bible. So, a plain, even a plain reading of Corinthians wouldn't result in silencing women in churches. You know, if we're going to create an egalitarian community, it won't make sense unless we're all empowered and all free. So that's what we're working on together. And again, I'll give you one more, sorry. Let's go back, Brian. It's one more. There's such an abrupt shift from 
For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church, or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only ones it has reached? And then it goes back to 39 and 40 here, which just returns to the rest of the chapter. It's a summary of what we already said. So it's like a weird, it doesn't, it doesn't read right, you know? It doesn't, there's something clunky about it. So something unusual, in my opinion, is happening there. Because at the end, he just goes back to his point. You know, prophets, prophecies higher than spirit, speaking in tongues. If you speak in tongues, have an interpreter. You know, so like there's something, there's something unusual happening here. I just want to note that. But if we want to create an egalitarian united community where, where, where Paul says your divisions of status and power are what divide you, we have to be all empowered and all free. So that's what we're working on together. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.